ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good morning, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have got a game-changing discussion for you today. Every once in a while, you stumble across a book that makes you pause and rethink where you are and sometimes get on the right track if you've been on the wrong track. And the book that we're going to be talking about today is Get to Aha, Discover Your Positioning DNA and dominate your competition, and nothing makes me happier than that. Uh, we have an amazing author today, and I'm going to let her tell you her story. Her name is Andy Cunningham. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to be here. And Andy, you have a long history of being a game changer and being surrounded uh, by game changers as, as both mentors and, and clients. Tell us a little bit about your history. Oh, sure. So I was very fortunate to be able to make my way out to California in 1983 and get a job uh, with an agency called Regis McKenna. And the primary job that I had was to launch the Macintosh for Apple Computer, which was one of our big clients. So I immediately jumped into being uh, to working side by side with Steve Jobs and the rest of the people at Apple, and it was. Uh, it was an amazing experience. As you well, can I imagine. have to ask you, just I want to interject, were there naysayers in the room, either on the Regis McKenna side or on the Apple side, who had doubts that the, the public was ready for the Mac? You know, that's a, that's a great question. There were no doubters either at Apple or at Regis McKenna. However, in the, in the real world, <laughs> there were lots of doubters because Apple had just launched the Lisa computer just a few months before that, and it, uh, it met with pretty great failure in the marketplace. And I hope that wasn't because I slept with Lisa. I think I told you the story where the the designer of that product was the brother of my boyfriend at the time. And I had to sign a non-disclosure to spend Thanksgiving at their house because Lisa was sitting on the floor of the bedroom. Oh, my God. That's so amazing. Well, it had to sit on the floor because it weighed a zillion pounds. Exactly. It was huge, (laughs) come to think about it. Yeah, but it was a great computer. But, you know, many times the first innovation that is in a certain space doesn't make it, and it needs the second or third innovation before it it gets gets to market successfully. And we talked a little bit about Regis McKenna. For those who don't know uh, anything about him or his firm, I had the great pleasure uh, when I was at American Airlines uh, in the Sabre division, and I don't even remember what the project was, but I remember sitting in a room in Palo Alto around a table and quite frankly feeling like an incredible fraud, wondering what I was doing at this (laughs) table Uh, with all of these brilliant individuals. And one of the guys who was in the room, uh, this must have had something to do with Unix, because the guy who was in the room was one of the ones who was leading the, you know, the development and rollout of Unix. And my friend Esty Solomon Gray, who who you and I both know, she was there. And, And I remember just listening to what was going on in the room and wondering how in the hell I got there. But, uh, but tell us a, a little bit about the firm, and then tell us what you did after that and how you uh, kind of circled back and, and re-encountered uh, Steve Jobs. 
Well, as you uh, uh, intimated, Regis's agency, which was called Regis McKenna Inc., was absolutely the number one place to go if you were a technology company and you wanted to create awareness for your product or service. Um, so Regis had all the greats. He had Apple, he had Microsoft, he had uh, anybody who was anybody back in the 80s he, he had as a client. So I, it was a, first it was an incredible honor to work there. Um, second, to be chosen to, to lead the Macintosh team was an even bigger honor. But the third and best honor was working with Regis himself. He was the most intuitive marketing person that I have ever mm. met, and he had a relationship with Steve Jobs that was quite special. He was a mentor to Steve. He was, in some ways, a father to Steve. He was an advisor. So it was really great to be around that. Um, but uh, so that's how I met Steve. That's how I got involved in the Apple account. And then uh, two years later, so we did the launch, and that was very fun and very successful. The launch was successful. The product, however, didn't didn't quite kick into full gear until uh, about a year later. But it did finally kick into gear. Um, but when Steve got kicked out of Apple two years after this Macintosh launch thing, I um, I decided that it was a good time for me to start my own firm, uh, and because I was aligned with Steve at the I was aligned with Steve at the agency uh, and and in the world, so okay. I decided to start my own public relations agency. And two weeks later, he he started to form Next, and gave me a call and asked me if I would come and help him with his announcement press conference, which in and of itself right. And I I want to hear this story because you know he he is um, known to be absolutely brilliant. Somewhat impulsive, but that impulse comes out of that knowledge that he's onto something, right? Yes, and then there yes. have to be people around you that that help temper that a little bit. And you were one of those people called to temper him. <laughs> yes, I don't think he called me to temper him, but I ended up <laughs> making I ended up making the decision I I had to. He he called me up on you know, about probably around nine thirty in the morning or ten o'clock in the morning one one weekday and. Uh, told me he was having this press conference in his yard in Woodside, California, and would I come over and help with it? So I said, sure. So I got over, I drove over to his house, and uh, it literally was milling around with probably 50 business press journals, you know, Fortune, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, right, right. The Chronicle. They were all there, Time, Business Week. Everybody was walking around. I knew all these people because <laughs> I'd been spent the last two years working very closely with them with the Apple stuff. Um, right. So I kind of, you know, we went my way in there, and I go get into the house, and he's sitting on the floor with these six or seven people that he had taken from Apple to form next. His lawyer is sitting next to him, and there was no furniture in this house. Um, so, so I'm sort of standing, and they're all sitting, and he looks up at me, and he goes, so we're going to do this press conference in a few minutes, and we're going to announce my new company, and we're going to announce all these people that I'm taking with me, and we're going to talk about not only how great my new stuff is going to be, but how awful Apple was and how, you know, and and he went on to say a few other expletives about uh, about the company. And I, I just looked at him sort of like, you can't possibly be serious. You cannot do that. And his lawyer was looking at him too, but he wasn't saying anything. So I decided to uh, open my mouth and say, Steve, you, I really don't think you should do this press conference. I think it's a bad idea. You're not ready. Um, people will wait for you. It's not a big deal, but you have to, you have to have your, story together, your act together, your messaging together, and this isn't the right messaging for this audience. And he sat there for a minute, totally silent. Everybody around him was totally silent. And then he popped up and he said, okay, I won't do it, but you have to go out there and get rid of everybody. <laughs> so I I did. I had to go outside and 
tell all these journalists that this big event they were going to have with Steve Jobs in his backyard was not going to happen, and they were not happy about that. Uh, wow. But they, uh, they, I, I just was very honest with them because that's kind of what my my mo is with the press. And and uh, I said, look, you guys must surely must understand that Steve just left Apple. It's it's barely, you know, his footsteps are barely dry from there. He hasn't figured this out yet. It's a brand new idea. Give us a little time, and we'll we'll talk to you about the the company when he knows a little bit more about what he's doing. And they were they were pretty understanding. They were grumbling, but they were pretty understanding. And then then they all left. And then uh, after that, Steve uh, hired me to to represent him. And then he fired me and hired me and fired me and hired me a few times. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and that's the thing about working with people who are are uh, brilliant and driven. They see a vision uh, that is perhaps much further down the road than anyone else is capable of seeing, and that yes. gets frustrating. I mean, I I, uh, I have the, that same gift of vision. I don't want to claim to be the the Steve Jobs of of this generation, but but it it's frustrates me sometimes that other people don't see things that way and and I'll liken it to when my I remember my husband and I being on some island in the Caribbean and and we had rented a car for some reason and and had gone into town for dinner and he was positive that he knew the fastest way home and I have this sight capability in in my brain to see things from a bird's eye so as if I'm looking down on the map Wow. And, and I knew that he was taking the long two sides of a triangle, and and uh, you know and and I just it it really made me pause to think okay he it's not that he's unwilling to see it he just doesn't have that specific gift right, right? and that's wow. true in business too and so I think you're in this amazing place where you get to help those visionaries bridge the gap between their teams and the press and their legal yes. counsel, right? And and to help them put their vision into words, right, which which the very first level of this, uh, which we're going to talk about today, is is about the principles of positioning versus marketing. Steve was ready to jump in and start marketing next before the first product had been built. I'm quite certain of that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Before, so before like about, I said, before he had even walked mm-hmm completely walked out the door of Apple. Right, yes. right, right. So so for our audience, you know, I, I think this was a, a big aha for me, if you'll pardon the pun, in, in reading your book, was uh, I really didn't see the distinction between positioning, marketing, and branding. So you begin the book talking about how great marketing starts with great positioning. Yes. I do. I I really uh, I strongly believe, and I actually learned this largely from Steve from Stephen Regis. Uh, great marketing has to be rooted in a very clear and differentiated position in the marketplace. And these two brilliant people from the 70s, called Jack Trout and Al Reese, wrote a book called Positioning, where they really expressed what this concept is all about. But in the end, what positioning is really about is about owning real estate in the mind of the potential customer. And you have to have a differentiated and clear and compelling description of what you what you are. So, I, I call it you must be able to answer the two two most important questions in business, which is who are you and why do you matter, and that's positioning. And then uh, that's the yin of a cor- of a corporate identity, and the yang of a corporate identity is what I call the emotional part or the branding part. 
So those two together, the rational positioning piece married together with the emotional branding piece, which is your position expressed in tone of voice, personality, archetype, those sorts of things, um, those two together create the, the nugget of your corporate identity, which then gives you the tools to do marketing. Right, right. And and so, you know, I shared with you the last time we spoke that uh, I'm I'm right in the midst of of launching a new tech company and yeah and I've got a, a brilliant uh, branding guy and you know worked with uh, Saber which is one of the travel industries um, really founders of of how technology was rolled out not only on the B two B side to the travel agency community and airlines but also to consumers through Travelocity which he was responsible for that yeah, branding Saber effort. is legendary. I mean, you know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah, I spent ten yeah. years there, and and I, I tell people, uh, actually, it was owned by American Airlines at that time, and because I'm a college dropout. Um, I always tell people I went to American University because it was American Airlines and it was Bob Crandall who ran the company at the time, uh, you know, who was a very, very strong, you know, and, and I, I'm not even going to say paternal because he didn't have a lot of the paternal characteristics, <laughs> but but a very uh, domineering command and control and equally brilliant in his own right. Um, yes. But I worked for the more too. creative division, Sabre, which was was taking a concept and a problem and solving that problem. And, you know, again, they've laid the foundation for the rest of the industry. And and many of us who grew up there have gone on to do other things for other groundbreaking companies. So, um, so as you as you take a look at, you know, this whole thing, you break it down to something uh, that you call core DNA and that there's actually DNA of your company and and genotypes within that. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because it's a fascinating concept. Sure. So the first thing is um, I treat companies like people, mostly because they're comprised of people. So just like people have DNA, I believe that companies, too, also have DNA. Um, and, and I think that success in the, in the Internet age today is based on an ability to be authentic in your communication because in today's world, you know, there's reviews written about you. There's people talking about you on the Internet. It's not so simple as to just create ads and have people uh, believe what the ads say. Now it's really about got to be about who you really are. So you must understand what your own DNA is as a company to be authentic in that marketing. And that's what gives you the capability of answering those two questions, who are you and why do you matter? Um, so to do that, you've really got to understand what your DNA is and figure figure out what kind of a company you are. And I I like to think of it this way. Once you know what you're made of, you can make something of it, whether you're a human or or a company. So the book is all about how to discover that DNA and then what to do with it from a positioning perspective once you know what it is. Got it, got it. Well, that that just makes so much sense to, you know, kind of unpeel the onion a little bit and, and look at what's inside because, I was telling my team this week that, you know, under pressure, what's inside gets squeezed out, right? <laughs> and and so even if it's buried deep, it, it gets discovered. And so knowing who you are and knowing what drives you is really at the foundation. And it's not about product features or even the problem no. you're trying to solve. Um, so So help us figure out how you actually get to that. I know you have a lot of practical tools within your book that that help you identify 
um, you know, with a particular genotype. And then, then you also talk about these six C's of positioning, which helps you put it in, in perspective. Sure. So, so I believe there are only three kinds of companies in the world. So luckily for us, corporate DNA is a lot easier to uncover than human DNA. Um, so the three kinds of companies are product-oriented companies, which I affectionately refer to as mechanics, customer-oriented companies, which I call mothers, and concept-oriented companies, which I call missionaries. And within each of those categories, like if you're a, if you're a mechanic, there are two directions or two genotypes that you can go with from a positioning perspective. You can either focus on features or you can focus on value. If you're a customer-oriented company, again, two genotypes that you can follow. You can either focus on customer segmentation or customer experience. And if you're a missionary company, again, two directions to go. You can focus on next big thingness, as I call it, right. or, or cult of personality. And either a human or a product can become the cult of personality within that type of company. So what I have in the book is a test for you to uh, uncover, are you a mother, are you a mechanic, or are you a missionary? And then once you know which one of those three you are as a company, then what are the two, geno which genotype are you as well? And once you understand your DNA and your genotype, then you have the knowledge of understanding exactly who you are as a company. Now, of course, there's, di there's different people have different answers to these tests, and sometimes you'll find that half the management team thinks one thing and the other half thinks something else. And this provides a great forum for discussion for alignment in the management team, which is critical when you're, when you're running a company and trying to, especially when you're trying to launch an innovation. You want everybody on the same page as to who you are and how you talk about yourself. So it provides a great opportunity for a management team to get alignment. And I apply what I call the Hector Ruiz principle to this decision-making. He is a client I had many years ago, uh, both at Motorola when he was running the semiconductor sector there, and then he became CEO of AMD, the semiconductor company, later on. And he basically has this rule where he says 60% of my management team must, uh, must agree with a decision and 100% of them have to buy in. So right. this particular uh, DNA process is the same thing. When you have 60% of your management team agrees that, say, you're a customer company or you're a mother, then 100% should buy in. And that creates alignment, which creates consistency, and it enables you to authentically go to market in a much more powerful way uh, because everybody's on the same page, and now you know who you are and you can express yourself in a very uh, powerful and authentic manner. Right, and I just want to interject, you know, there, there are some interesting things at play here because, it, you know, it seems like it should be a fairly simple and straightforward um, decision, you know, of a company being able to spot where they are. But the problem is uh, companies are made of, up of people, and, and certainly yes. leadership teams are made up, made up of people. And in, in my particular current venture, we are a B2B technology company, but our tool is used by the end consumer. And, and sometimes our clients actually have a customer base, and then the, the end user of that product comes you know, through that second party. And when you've got a mixture of people on your team who come out of a B2C orientation or a pure B2B orientation where you're providing a tool that's only used inside of a company, right, trying to get those people on the same page is sometimes where that challenge comes in. It's just that everyone filters with their experience, right? Yes, and who they are. 
right. and what their DNA is. Absolutely, they do. So how do, how do you bridge that? Because I'm sure in all of the companies that you have consulted with, you've you've been confronted with that of of a team who just has completely different experience, and they come at it with the tools that are in their pocket from that set of experience. Right, and a, a great uh, analogy that I like to use is a statement that Ken Olson, who was the CEO and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation way back in the oh, yes. 70s and 80s, <laughs> remember him? He, oh, he I made, do, I do. <laughs> I mentioned him in my book, so I think you're probably going to say about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, he, he was an incredible person, but he basically said that big companies – are like mighty warships, right? They're, they're, they're very intimidating, yeah. they're very huge, and if they're coming at you as a competitor, it's intimidating and frightening. But if you go beneath the waterline, what you see in these big tech companies, or big any kind of company, is you see a thousand canoers paddling in different directions with their canoe paddles bumping into each other. And and that's, exactly. that is unfortunately what really goes on at companies. And so this, this notion of understanding what your DNA is and then aligning to it helps get those thousand canoers all paddling in a single direction and you can imagine the power that gets gained from that sort of thing but how do you bridge that that gap between the humans the individual humans that are in the room and then the and the DNA of the company most of the time it the leader of the team or the leader of the company is the is the primary driver of that DNA and it's more more in behavior uh, than it is in what that individual is all about and you'll you'll see that I think I like to use uber and Lyft as great examples of this uber is uber is a company that it was built to build a product to solve a need, and it's everything that they have and do is about that product. It's not about their customer relationships. But if you look at Lyft, they have the same product doing exactly the same thing, but they were founded to create a, a very strong relationship with their customers. So Uber is a mechanic company, and Lyft is a is a mother company because they but care about But it's interesting that they were both missionaries in introducing the next big thing, right? Well, they they were, but to be honest with you, I don't per, I don't perceive them as as missionaries. Uh, I think I think that they were not the first to do that. I remember driving around London with a, a company called Addison Lee long before Uber came mm-hmm. out, uh, and it was exactly the same idea. Um, so yes, there's there's definitely some missionary DNA. In any tech company has some of that in it. In fact, I think an important thing to say is that. DNA is is like it is in humans. It, you have lots of it. <laughs> there's an expressing uh, face to it, but there's a lot of other DNA that supports it that, that doesn't. So just because you're a mother doesn't mean that your productness or your missionariness goes away. It just supports the, the motherness as, a, as opposed to uh, taking over. So there's a facing personality and then all the supporting DNA that goes with it. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because... Uh, Clearly, when you are launching the next big thing, which hasn't previously existed, um, you have to be able to figure out how to create this positioning which drives people to want that thing, even though they don't even know that what they have been settling for is settling, right? And that, mm-hmm. that's where we are in, in what we're doing in my company, mm-hmm. is we we are solving something happens to be in the online travel world and and online travel's been around since since 1995 and quite frankly with saber and even the early easy saber and commercial saber and the products that they came out with long before the internet we've had online travel since 1978 and i wrote one of my first books that i wrote was called e-commerce pioneers and it was about saber wow. and its competitors 
because we were able to digitally sell travel globally for 500 airlines, you know, in 1978. So, um, you know, we we were back in those days we were missionaries creating something that didn't exist but now <laughs> now that whole world and the online travel world which started with with travelocity and expedia and some right. of the really uh industry leading things that um that the hoteliers were doing you know there were some people like hilton you know who were kind of ahead of the game on their own internal systems but they they created something built on the foundation of those monolithic companies that actually all came out of the airlines. So Sabre and Apollo and Galileo and, and um, Amadeus and the, these names that people are, who are in the travel industry know well. The consumer doesn't generally know those names because they were B2B brands, right? And each one of them right. spun off a B2C brand. And, um, you know, it, it's just interesting trying to communicate um, that you're Next doing something new, up. even though it has some of the vestiges of the old. Yeah. So I think I I think the way you know I I look at companies like FedEx and and uh, and Apple is a great example of a company that really uh, existed to change behavior on a fundamental level. Yes. And when you and that to me is the the primary definition of a missionary. If you exist to change behavior on a fundamental level, not just do something better not just do something better, faster, cheaper, but do something that really exists to change behavior on a fundamental level, that gives you the the missionary status. And missionary companies are really uh, best served by by visionary CEOs who can act as a spokesperson for that new behavior. Which Phew. Is what, oh, I yes. feel so much better. <laughs> I'm in the right place. <laughs> and you're a visionary, so that's that's perfect for you. I think that I think that's great. And what you need to do is really explain to the the world how something how how this new behavior is going to change the world and people yes. who are attracted to visionary companies they really love the idea of changing the world whether they're a customer or whether they're an employee right right well and it's interesting because one of the things that we have focused on and I, I want to get to the the six C's I don't don't want to derail <laughs> the conversation but but one of the things that we are doing and I, I'm I'm believing that your whole issue of positioning and and with the technology orientation isn't just this isn't just about technology or product this is about changing behavior even in business models and in organizational yes. behavior right. right and even culture and and so let's talk about the six C's of positioning and then I'd like you to you know kind of weave that back in that this isn't just a product discussion Right, it's not yes, just technology you, for technology's sake. Many of your clients have applied both technology and business models and new ways of doing things that didn't involve a physical product. You bring up a super point that I, I do want to make right away, which is this notion that the the way that the reason that there are these three kinds of companies and the reason that I know this, these three different DNA types, is because they they structure themselves entirely differently. Mothers structure themselves differently from mechanics, differently from missionaries. And they, they so it's not only about structure, but it's about how they hire people, how they fire people, how they compensate people, how they measure success, what they talk about in meetings. And the test in my book uh, gives you, helps you through that process of figuring out which one you are because it asks you those types of questions. And so it really isn't about an opinion. It's about how do you actually build your company as to which one of those three that you are. So 
So thank you. That was a really good point that I that I wanted to make about uh, about understanding what this DNA thing is. But DNA is only one of the of the six C's. I call it the core of the six C's because to me it's the most important because you can't do great marketing without great positioning and understanding what your your DNA is in a market. Um, but there are five other ones that that matter a lot to positioning, and and I won't spend a whole lot of time on them because some of them are somewhat obvious. But it must they must be examined before you can come up with a great um, position for a company. So you must understand what category you're in. Are you building a new category? Are you resegmenting an existing category? Or are you joining a category that already exists? Right. Um, the next C, uh, this would now be the third C, I call community. And community is uh, exactly that. It's not only your customers, because they're part of your community, but they're all the people that influence your customers and all the people in the buying chain of your of your customers. So you right. must understand how to reach them and what to say to them. Um, then, of course, there's the opposite of that. There's the competition that you have to worry about. How are they positioning themselves? How are they talking about themselves? And it would be a mistake to try to use the same language they're using, so you're trying to differentiate your company. So understanding what the competition is doing is critical. Uh, the fifth C is about context, which is what is what does the world look like as you launch this new thing into it? And uh, and what waves can you ride to, to help you push you along in, in a market success sort of way. That's a super important thing to look at. And then finally, and this is a slightly different C, I call it the C of criteria. And, uh, and I really just like to have my clients write down three to five to seven points that they really want their positioning statement to meet so that when we're done with all of this exercise in the end, they know that they have succeeded. So, so let's say you're launching a product for millennials. You want that product to express hipness. So that's one criteria. You might also want that product to express some form of, of give back to the, to the universe, which is what millennials really care about. You might want it to express some form of engagement. So you want to come up with whatever this list of criteria are so that when you're done with the exercise, you know you've hit the nail on the head. Got it, got it. And Andy, I didn't ask you uh, at the beginning of our call uh, how much time you have, and I want to be sensitive to that. Uh, we, we still have a, a big chunk of your book to talk about, and that's really the practical side of once you decide on, on what your positioning is, how do you actually deliver that and, and work it into your culture and into your business plans. Um, can we just do a quick time check? How much time? Sure, do I'm, have? I'm good. I'm good with time, Chicky. So oh, whatever, perfect. Whatever well, you I'm need. so glad because I <laughs> I love this topic, and you know, once you decide on your positioning, and and clearly, um, there are some companies who have the the talent and and the expertise, and quite frankly, the discipline to take a book like this and to apply it to themselves. Uh, there are other kinds of companies that really require someone to come in and facilitate this for them. Um, right. So most companies end up with either an internal branding person or they hire a, an external agency that helps them develop. Um, and, and usually, and, and you talk about this a lot in your book, they, they start with the fun stuff, the pretty stuff, the they colors, <laughs> and yeah, the emotion. And, and I want you to talk a little bit, uh, I, I think you've already mentioned it, but I want you to talk about the yin and the yang piece. Sure. Uh, so I believe that the, the core of great marketing, again, is all about position. And that position is comprised of really two pieces. There's a rational piece, which I call the yin piece, and there's an emotional piece, which I call the yang piece. And by the way, that's just like human beings. They have rational sides. They have emotional sides. So the yin and the yang of a company is the rational and the emotional coming together to create the whole 
of what that company is. And I'm a very big believer in doing the rational first, understanding the rational first, and then applying the emotional to that. Because if you, and this is true in decision making as human beings, if we if we react immediately from an emotional perspective without applying the rational thought to a decision that we make, we often make the wrong decision. So I think it's great advice for humans as well as for companies to start with the rational and then follow it up with the emotional. That said, most companies really love doing the emotional first because it's the sexy fun part. It's the logo. It's the name. It's the color palette. Um, it's the mood boards. It's you know all right. of that stuff. And uh, it's it's almost like designing a home by by deciding what kind of carpeting and cabinets you want in it before you figure out what it looks like. Um, right, it just won't right. build you a great home, and and the same is true for a company. Well, and I think that's a really great analogy, Andy. Uh, and and again, we we do avoid uh, just our human nature is to avoid the hard work and to go to the fun stuff. Uh, yes. I'm the mother <laughs> of a 17 year old and a 19 year old, and oh. and my 17 year old is. It's such an amazing kid, but, you know, he is just, he's all about the fun, right? And, you know, <laughs> we we just had this discussion the other night about his grades, and we're, today's the last day of the quarter, and he's a junior in high school, and his uh, AP class uh, in, in U.S. history had slipped down to a level where we have a family rule that you don't get to play uh, the optional sports, which for him the next sport coming up is soccer, and then tennis, which is his core core sport, um, that he doesn't get to play if he if he uh, doesn't make the grade, right? <laughs> and 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 then I realized, oh dear, what we've done is we've created this this uh, carrot and stick where where he's actually not thinking about the grades and learning, right? He's thinking about soccer, <laughs> and. And that that actually works in his nature because he does want to do the fun stuff. So he'll do the hard work if it means he has to do the fun <laughs> stuff. So so laying this foundation, and you know, again, I I love the discipline that this requires. And I, I guess this maybe I'm a, kind of an oddity in my category of of being the visionary. I actually do like like the fundamentals. I do like the foundation. Now I I like other people to chip in and and you know help do that <laughs> yes, work. Of course. <laughs> so let's let's talk about um revolution and evolution, right? And, and and how you get to to that place where you can have this cutting edge uh, revolution in in your company, in your products, in your relationships with your customers, in your orientation of how you're going to move things ahead. Once you know who you are, once you've you know gone through the core, the category, the community, your competition, uh, you know the context and the criteria. How do you get ready to actually put it into practice? How do you how do you get it out there? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. What's next? I mean, you know, is branding the next thing? And and you know, you you give in this second part of your book a whole bunch of uh, stories, really, about your clients that you've had over time. Yes. And and many of them were very cutting edge, but maybe in businesses that you don't think about being cutting edge. So I'd love to hear some of those stories of how uh, you guided folks through this process and then actually didn't just leave them, you know, a deck that sat on the shelf for years. You actually helped them roll this out into their company. Yeah, the rollout is, is of course, in, in anything. Execution is all about <laughs> making it happen. 
Um, but the branding part of it is, is really kind of part of that upfront thing. So there's the yin and the yang, the positioning and the branding that come first, and then the six, the six C's. Well, that's the first C and then the other five C's. And so now you've got the tools. Now you know who you are and why you matter, and you understand uh, how to position yourself in the marketplace. So now you're ready to kind of take it, take it to market. Um, and what I believe in today's world is that the word of mouth is everything in, in the universe that we live in today because of the Internet. It's all about what other people say and what other people think. And now they, they can write about you in reviews and on the Internet. And it doesn't matter whether you're a business product or you're a consumer product. It's it's still about what other people say and what other people do. So uh, So what is important is that you create a giant digital footprint for yourself and your story in the marketplace. And the bigger your digital footprint and the more aligned it is with your compelling role and relevance in the market, the more successful you will be. So I like to think of, of the world of, of marketing today at, as an intersection between positioning, branding, and content marketing. But content marketing in, in the world that I'm talking about is not just getting stories about your company out there. Everybody likes to think right. of it that way, but it isn't. It's a very strategic um, job of infecting the community with your positioning statement which means you have to include that positioning or the little phrases that go with that positioning into every single form of communication that you have available to you. And the good news about the world today is we have so many channels of communication open to us. They come in three categories. They come in the owned category, which is everything that you have control over, your social media, your website, your blog, your brochures, your recruiting materials, everything that you have control over, and there's millions of those. Then the second category is earned channels of message distribution, which is in the what we used to call public relations, right? It's the right. press and the analyst community. Um, and then the third channel is the paid channel, which is advertising, and that is anything from a Google AdWord all the way on up to a Super Bowl ad. So you have control, depending on your budget, um, right. you have lots of space, lots of channels to use for your message distribution, and you have an incredible ability to create a very large digital footprint for yourself if you do it strategically. And what, what I find today is people understand the need for content marketing, but they don't understand that that content marketing is supposed to be about persuasive writing that helps people understand what your positioning is all about. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a complex thing, but those three things are the things that make that enable you to take it to market. And it doesn't take a lot of money. Uh, advertising is expensive, but the other right. two, the owned and the earned, really inexpensive. And you can you can I, do I a lot. I want to fall back just for a minute back to Apple because we we use this example a lot when we're having our inter internal discussions, uh, you know, about talking about uh, the the why. Again, you know, I, I love where you talk uh, about the you know who who are we and why should it matter to anyone. Right. Um, I always use the Apple example because my company uh, has actually been around for 21 years, and, and our name is Solutions, which implies that we're problem solvers. And you know, at the same time, I have personally established myself as a game changer because, I mean, it's just who God made me to be. It's not that I decided one day I wanted to do that, right? And so right. I just and wrote a book it. called yeah. The Game Changer, and my radio show is The Game Changer, and we in solutions, we build game-changing technology. And, and we have this, again, I think it's the yin and the yang discussion internally about whether you do your positioning about the product, right, because we've got this 
game-changing product that is coming out. And and I always say, well, you know, Apple uh, positioned itself right as as uh, you know, it, it was really the positioning for the company, not necessarily the positioning for Macintosh. Because if you did all of your positioning around Macintosh, then what happens when somebody has the iPhone and the iPad and you know all of the right. subsequent products that come down the line and and I see our current position or our current product as just the first of many now hopefully there will be sufficient time for the first one to mature and the and the company you know to build up around it um, but but that that's a constant discussion we have about how do you get the mind share um, you know, if you've got the company name on your business card instead of the product name, right? So, you know, did anybody ever argue for having Macintosh on their business cards? So I believe that uh, all of the Macintosh people in the Macintosh division wanted to have Macintosh on their business cards. But I think uh, it's it's very normal to have politics in any kind of a company, and people affiliate with the divisions or the products that they're working on. Um, that said, uh, the superset of that is really what does a company want to achieve. And I think it, just to use the Apple example on um, this one, um, having worked very closely with Steve Jobs, he was very, very, very much uh, passionate about building an entire company that built many what he called appliances that made people's lives better. So the right. company, Apple, was all about building appliances that, that made your life better. And that didn't matter whether it was an Apple II computer or all the way today with the Apple Watch. They're all appliances. And he used that word very strategically. Um, so the whole company was about building these game-changing, and I love that phrase, game-changing appliances that improved people's lives. Um, so that's really what Steve Jobs was about. So every product he built was that way. And the worry that we all have for Apple today is are they going to be able to make more game-changing products that are appliances that improve people's lives? And so far, they've really just made improvements on the ones they've done in the past. Hopefully, they right. can get back on the rails and do some more game-changers. Right. Well, let's turn turn our attention, and, and we won't have time to go through through all six stories that you include in the second half of the, the book, but this is a great reason for people to order your book. But why don't you just tell me your favorite story about someone who, who was struggling with positioning and, and how that story turned out? Wow. Well, boy, every one of them is, is one of those situations. They were all struggling with their positioning. Um, I think, let's see, why don't I talk a little bit about Tile for one, and then maybe there's, there's time for one other one. Tile, right, and as I mentioned to you last time, uh, I bought Tile for every yes. single person in my family last year as stocking stuffers for Christmas, and uh, it has been a lifesaver for me. It's a great, it is really a great product, and it's a very simple product. It basically just helps you find your stuff, right? It's a tiny little less than an inch square device that you attach to your keys or you stick it on your computer or whatever you you do with it and, and it, it enables you to find it when it's lost. And the, the key to finding a tile isn't so much about the beeper, if you will, that, that occurs between your phone and your tile, but it's the community of people, of which there are several hundred thousand now, that can help you find your stuff. If I leave my keys here in New York while I'm visiting New York, uh, and then I go back to California, I can realize, oh, my gosh, I left my keys somewhere. I don't know where they are. I can I can access it on my app. And then anyone in the tile community in New York where I may have left my keys can can help me find them without them even knowing that they've they've helped it because they're, they're, it's all tied into one giant community. So anyway, the problem that tile was facing 
um, they had a twofold problem. They had a positioning problem because there were lots of other others of these uh, tracking devices being launched onto the marketplace. That was one problem. But probably the bigger problem was that they had already begun to form this community. They had, I think, 350,000 uh, customers who had become customers through a, a crowdfunding program that the company launched in order to get the company launched. So they had this incredible video, and they were able to launch their 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 company. But they kind of didn't realize how hard it was going to be to actually develop the product itself. So now they found themselves faced with a community of about 350,000 people who had put money into buying a tile, and they didn't have the tile ready, and they actually didn't really know mm. how to manufacture it. So they were stuck in this very difficult position of having a community but not having a product. And they and once you have a community, of course, they talk to each other. That's what the Internet <laughs> yes. enables. So the community is now starting to complain that they haven't seen or heard from Tile since they sent in their 20 bucks, and is this some kind of a sham of a company, and what, what did I do here? And, of course, like most companies when they're faced with a crisis like that, they say nothing. They do nothing. <laughs> they they think if I just if I just don't say anything, maybe the problem will go away, or um, I'll just work harder to get the product done, and then everybody will forgive me once it's out there. Um, so we basically convinced them that that was not the best strategy. That they should actually use this as an opportunity to begin a real dialogue with their community and 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 create a, create a relationship there. So that's the the community C of the six C's. So what we did is we basically came uh, came true, came forth with, with what the situation was with the community, and we basically said things like in a newsletter. We decided to do a newsletter for one thing, and we basically said things like, it's hard to build a company. Thank you for your support in getting us started. It's been more difficult to figure out the manufacturing than we thought. And right. uh, Anyway, what we did is we helped them bring the community along with them. And then from a positioning perspective, we decided to ride a wave. So that's the context C. We decided to ride the wave of wearables. And so our positioning for Tile was wearables for things. Um, and when it was mm. first, when this first happened, it was a great, it was a great position because it rode the wave of wearables, and it, uh, it was the only company uh, tracking device positioned like that. So that's the Tile story, which was a lot right. of fun. They're a great company. They're a mother, by the way. They're, um, they love building relationships with their customers now. They, Interesting. They tape the stories on the back of bathroom stalls of, of their products and how they've been used. And when I first went to Tile, I went into the ladies' room, and I look at the back of the stall, and there's a whole story about a family that put a, that adhered a Tile to the back of a, of a box turtle that they had that kept getting <laughs> lost in their house. <laughs> And, and they just they use all these stories to to show their employees and and their customers how much they care about about their customers. It's it's a oh, really I kind of a magical that. company. I love that. You know, I'd like we have we have a couple of more minutes. Um, I'd love to hear about the Retrotope uh, story because, of course, I'm very interested in the next big thing, uh, positioning and and what was their next big thing. So that is a really great story. I, I like to say it's founded by a couple of baby boomers, um, and we baby, and I'm a baby boomer, and we baby boomers are not going to die. We're going to do everything we possibly can right. to extend life as long as we can. So this is a company that has got a life extension compound, essentially, and they've discovered a, a compound that that prevents cells from damaging themselves over time, which is pretty magical if that can happen you know if we can if we can figure out how to ingest that into our bodies um, wow what a what a game changer that would be huh so they they have this and they they've done enough market research or enough um, 
clinical research, I should say, to show that it, it, it certainly has those effects on people. They haven't done enough of the tests to, to actually be able to have a product in the market yet, but they've done enough to know that they've got something there. So they decided that their route to market was going to be through creating a drug. There's a particular disease out there called Friedrich's ataxia, and Friedrich's ataxia is caused by the degeneration of, of cells. And it kills, it kills um, patients. Uh, it, it certainly kills their ability to think and their ability to, to behave uh, you know, like, a, like a human. So what they've decided to do is attack the market through the, the FDA and create a drug using their compound that would stop the degeneration of the cells in the brain and then, uh, and then help address the causes of this, this de- not the causes, but address the symptoms of this disease, Friedrich's ataxia. Um, they are they are finding right now that getting getting a drug done is incredibly long and time consuming, so they are going to continue along that path, but they're going to add a path to it, which is the path of of going the nutraceutical route and creating a supplement that has the same compound in it in a slightly different uh, mixture and and market it as a as a longevity product. So that's the path right. they're on today. So it's a it's a it's a definitely a game changer. And what we what we knew at the beginning is you can't come out into the marketplace and say we have a product that's going to extend your life, because you can't really prove that. So what we right. what we decided is the best way to launch this product was to build a community of of experts in aging, and talk about a new model for addressing aging, uh, as opposed to going out there with we're gonna we're gonna solve the aging problem. We're going we're gonna to start with the problem of we have people, experts together that we pull together in a conference every year to talk about ways to change the model of, of how we deal with aging and how right. drugs and supplements attack that. So that was a very interesting uh, project, and they're, they're doing really well, and they're now on this other path uh, as well as the, as the FDA path, and uh, we, we continue to root for them at every, at every juncture because uh, – Gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could stop the damage of cells in the body before that before it happens? Andy, this has just been fascinating, and you know, again, we have been talking about the book "Get to Aha," and this is all about discovering your positioning DNA and dominating your competition. Andy, if folks would like to have you come at their company or their event or they want to follow you, what's the, the one best place for them to go to find out uh, more about you? Oh, th- thank you. So I, I think going to the website, get gettoaha.com, it's G-E-T, the number two, aha.com, um, or you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Cunningham 4 uh, on Twitter. Um, I think that's, those are two probably really great ways to do it. And that's I would love to so have you do it. <laughs> Well, and and we absolutely will push that out for you. And and again, I so appreciate you being willing to uh, invest this extra time. We got we got a full hour with you, which uh, is a, a super bonus. Uh, and just Andy, I am so thrilled uh, that you invested this time with with our listener group. And uh, just wish you the best. If you can just hang on one second, I will wrap up the uh, recorded call and uh, just want to chat for a second. Okay. Thank you to our listeners for uh, joining us again. And we have got lots more for you. Check out thegamechanger.network and you'll see what we've got coming up. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation 
with Chickie Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm.